before the goodness starts flowing, I want to welcome you to the STR Sisterhood, real life stories from real life women in the short-term rental industry. I'm your host, Stacey St. John, ex-corporate girl who discovered how to replace her six-figure salary through short-term rentals and who now has the pleasure of helping others do the same. On this show, we talk to real women in the short-term rental space about their journeys and how they've managed to turn their STR dreams into reality. If you're an ambitious woman who's looking to build a successful short-term rental business, you are in the right place, sister. Hey, sisters. Okay, really quick before we jump into this episode, we are doing a quick survey for the show and for our listeners so that we can learn about what you love about the podcast and how we can continue to bring the content that you love more often. So in the show notes below, we have a link that is going to direct you to a survey. Once you fill it out and hit submit, you are good to go. And thank you in advance for sharing your opinions. Welcome to another episode of the STR Sisterhood. This is Stacey St. John, and I, just as I say every Tuesday, am so very grateful that you have chosen to spend a few minutes with me today. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to share a quote that I read earlier this morning and that really resonated with me. It says, once I learned to like me more than others did, then I didn't have to worry about being the funniest or the most popular or the prettiest. I was the best me, and I only ever tried to be that. You know, so many of us try to live up to other people's standards or worry about what other people think. And I want to encourage you to listen to that quote and let it soak in with you. Thank you to American actress Issa Rae for sharing those inspiring words. Again, they resonated with me today, and I hope that they help you along your path. Now, in this episode, I sit down with Brenna Carls. Now, Brenna previously sang backup for Dolly Parton, and she is now backing up people who are expanding their short-term rental portfolios through a variety of loan and mortgage products. Now, Brenna answers all types of questions about all the different loan products and strategies out there, and I can tell you, sister, you are going to want to break out the pen and paper and take notes. Now, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into my conversation with Brenna Carls. All right, so today with us on the show, I have Brenna Carls. Brenna, thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, of course. I'm excited for this. This is going to be fun. I have a laundry list of loan questions for you. But before we get there, I would love for you to share with us a little bit about who you are and how you entered into the world of short-term rentals. Yes, my background was not mortgage. I actually hated math in school and told my math teacher I would never do math in my life. And now I think he's laughing in his grave because now I own a company that does math every day. So growing up, I was a, a singer my whole life, moved 
back to Tennessee. The my maiden name Maples were originally from the Tennessee area with the Partons, but moved here in 2011 with my singing career, and was the lead singer in various shows around here in the Smoky Mountains. Had a writer's deal in Nashville. Then Dolly, you know, comes to town and does performances, and she selected a few singers to be her background singers. So I was her background singer uh, whenever she would come into town for about three years. And then I got my money finally saved up because contrary to popular belief, singers don't make that much money. I got my first primary residence. And so it had to be built. And oddly enough, I just geeked out and loved the organization process that had to be done in order to get all these documents to the underwriters and stuff like that. And so I was like, I kind of want to learn more about this. And then the uh, older brokerage that had done that loan at the time was like, yeah, I mean, I think you'd be good. You can intern here if you want to see what it's about. And so in the mornings I would go and intern there and kind of learn about it, still singing at night. And then I finally made the jump, you know, full time. I got an offer at a large bank to be a loan originator there. And most loan originators at banks are, you know, some of them are good, but you know, if they don't try, they're just going to, you know, not be up at the top, but I was like, I, I want to be the best at whatever I do. And so I was very familiar with the short-term rental industry anyway, because we're from the Smoky Mountains, you know, we had cabins here, all that fun stuff. So I already knew it. So I would just hit the ground running, calling realtors all the time. You know, if I didn't know something, I'd say, you know what, let me look that up. And then when I looked that up, I would learn every single thing about that specific question. So I wouldn't, I would know it and keep growing. Long story short, um, it, it grew quite a bit and I expanded my portfolio to all of these other short-term rental areas that I was familiar with and became so busy that I had like two assistants, another junior loan originator under me at that bank. And it was just so hard to get loans through, you know, and I was like, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way that I can offer better products to my clients and to be able to get a conditional approval without having to wait 20 days, because that was what the bank was doing is 20 days until you get, and it's insane. So then I decided to open up our company, the mortgage shop. And I, apparently I hit a niche that did, needed to be filled because all these people were like, all the products you have, we've had to go to this one, this one, and this one to get the different products, but you all, you have it all in one house. And so that's how I got here. Business has been awesome. Very blessed. I do have now 21 employees doing pretty well. Amazing. And so I know obviously with the mortgage shop, you have the distinct pleasure of serving people with their short-term rental loans across a multitude of geographies. What I want to do today, if you're okay with it, I want to ask you some really specific questions pertaining to different loan products and different loan strategies, because I think as people are looking for ways to continue to grow and scale their portfolios, especially looking at the current real estate market and the economy. They want to be up to date with the best information and things that are going to be relevant for them, regardless of where they are on their journey. So I'm just going to throw a bunch of different questions at you and, and thank you in advance for, <laughs> for bearing with me as I do so. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about different loan types 
for those who are investing in short-term rentals. Can you walk us through what different loan types there are and how someone might choose one type versus another? Yeah. So the first one and the most popular, most heard of is probably that second home or what's known as a vacation home loan. It's the lowest down payment option to get into investment right away. Your primary intent has to be to vacation there first, and then you can rent it out according to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. You do have to stay there two weeks out of the year, and then you're able to rent it out the remaining part of the year. So there's that option. If you're just getting into it, you know, I'd recommend that one because it gives you a little bit of taste of what it's going to be like. You get to know the area well, and I always tell my clients, when you're looking at an area, go vacation or visit there. Because that way, if you're putting it on Airbnb, you can recommend your favorite restaurants, you can recommend your favorite parks, and you're just more personable with these guests as opposed to auto sending out messages and be done with it. So I think that's a really good one for starters, because, you know, you may decide you don't like this and you're stuck with just an investment only property instead of a vacation home that your family can use. So that's the first option. Then we have investment only for conforming loans or conventional loans and jumbo loans. And that does go off of your personal debt and personal income, but you are able to use proposed rental income on the subject property to help qualify for that loan. So if you, you know already have a second home, let's say you've already been past that, you're experienced, you want to get into investment more, you get an investment property, you are able to still vacation at your investment property. I mean, it's your property, you can do what you want with it, but it's, you know, your primary intent is to invest there. You cannot use proposed rental income on a second home loan. You can on an investment loan. So keep that in mind. Then the most popular out there right now for investment loans is the DSCR loan or what's known as debt service coverage ratio. That one does not go off of your personal debt or personal income. It goes off the property you are purchasing's proposed monthly rental income and the proposed monthly mortgage payment. Most DSCR loans require you to have a one-to-one -one ratio, which means if your mortgage is $3,000 a month and your net rental income proposed should be $3,000 a month or more, which is not hard to achieve in these tourist markets that we're in. That one is good if you, in the beginning, if you're just getting properties, I recommend going towards that conventional route because they're going to have better terms and better interest rates. So I hear a lot of people are like, I've got to get a DSCR loan. I'm like, why? And they're like, well, I heard that's the best. And I'm like, it is if you're farther along in the game. It also doesn't go against your debt to income ratio or look at it. So it's also an option if you've capped yourself that year for debt to income ratio wise, you can get a DSCR loan and be able to continue to build your portfolio. So that's the difference between DSCR and investment only that goes off of conventional guidelines. And you can also close the DSCR in an LLC if you wanted to. You can't do that with conventional. So I know a lot of my clients for anonymity, they want to not show their name on stuff. And so they can close that in an LLC. Amazing. So I know I've got a variety of questions just based off of what you just shared, but I'm curious about the two weeks with the uh, second home loan or the vacation home loan. Do those two weeks need to be consecutive? that you're staying in your vacation property? No, they do not. You can um, split them up however you want. You can go down three days, you can go down a week. It doesn't matter. I do say that the, they, I have a lot of questions that say, well, can my family visit there and it count 
towards my vacation days. Only if you, if you're the person on the loan, only if you're with them during those vacation days. So it can't be like family members using that time. You do have to be there personally if you're on the loan at least 14 days out of the year. And can you do what a lot of people do these days as a workcation? So could they technically be staying in that vacation property, but potentially working remotely? Is that looked at as okay? I say yes, as long as they have a pina colada while they're there. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to go with the margarita. That's fine too. Okay. You know, whatever mixed drink of your choice, you do have to have one of those. That's I'm kidding. That's not a rule, but it is my rule personally. Yes, you can go in and all of us, right, can work remote now. It's it's pretty common to see that. So I work all the time. So if I'm at the, my, our beach house, you know, I'm working there, but I also go out and take a walk on the beach. You know, I go to a nice restaurant with my husband, some something like that. And so you can, and if you're doing repairs or something on your property, you're doing repairs, but yeah, you're, you're still at a vacation area. You can do vacation-y things like go try a new restaurant and things of that nature. So yeah, those do count. Awesome. And is there any formalized way that one would need to track their visits or the number of days that they're staying in their property? Is it just you throw it on an Excel spreadsheet or mark it off in your calendar? Or is there a more formalized process for reporting that back on a regular basis? So for tax return purposes, to continue to show that you use it as a second home, you do need to show it on your tax return. The only way you would need to keep track of it is if you got audited and they wanted to see that you used those two weeks. So you do have to send them proof like, hey, I was here, obviously this restaurant's here. Here's a transaction that showed I was here. Or here's my Instagram photo of me on the beach. <laughs> so that's not likely to happen, but some, you know, everybody's subject to get audited. And that could be one of their questions that they ask, especially if they can look into your tax transcript and see that it is a second home loan. Interesting. And so from your perspective, you find that for many of your clients, they start off with that second home loan product, then they move into an investment product, then they move into a DSCR product. Is that accurate? Sometimes. So okay. let's say you're looking and researching different areas. Let's say you get a second home here in the Smoky Mountains, but then you want to test out the Panhandle. You can have a second home there because they're two totally different areas. So you can build your portfolio with second homes if you know you want to expand maybe three areas and get to know them well and vacation at each. Remember though, you know, two weeks out of the year for all of your vacation homes. So you can, but what you said is pretty much correct besides additional second homes. Okay. So with that second home loan product, there are, correct me if I'm wrong, you can only have, is it, you can only have one second home or vacation uh, loan product in a specific market. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. So if you get one here, like people are like, well, what about Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg? It's literally the same thing, you know? So you can't have one second home there and one second home in Pigeon Forge. Um, it's one second home loan per area per household. Okay. Gotcha. So much fun. So much fun. And so when someone hears you talk about conforming loan, can you just walk us through in second grader terms, what does that really mean? 
Yeah, so you'll hear the word conventional and you'll hear the word conforming. Conforming is just what the loan amount is. So the new 2023 conforming loan limit is 726,200. Once it gets over that, it's jumbo. But our jumbo product, right, with seven, second homes, you can still do a 10% down second home jumbo because they both go off of conventional guidelines. So you have the conforming loan limit, but then you have conventional guidelines. Conventional guidelines are made up from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And we underwrite to those, and then we are able to package it and sell it to the secondary market with those terms. With DSCR, it's not a conforming loan. It's a non-qualified mortgage or what's known as non-QM because it's not that full documentation loan. It's not going off of your debt. It's not going off of your income. So therefore, they don't have to abide by these you know, rules that they put in place for people. They can charge a prepayment penalty. They can charge more points than Fannie and Freddie will allow because it's a totally different product and it's not uh, a conventional conforming loan product. Gotcha. Gotcha. I feel like there should be a quiz at the end of this podcast. There should be a lot of pausing and rewinding. That's right. Exactly. Probably. Pause, rewind, pause, rewind. All right. So I want to, again, just confirm what I believe I heard you say earlier on with projected rental income versus established rental income. First, can I have you just give us a quick overview of what that really means? Again, in layman's terms, the projected rental income versus established. Yes. So projected rental income, usually we have two ways of looking at rental income, right? We have the rental income worksheet that comes on the appraisal or what's known as a 1007. And how we do that is we look at the property you're purchasing. And then let's say it's a two bed, two bath with a view. We look at all the properties within a three to five mile radius of that property with a two bed, two bath with a view that have sold within the past year. We look at all of their rental incomes and then we average it out to come up with the subject properties proposed rental income. Using existing income, usually you would do that. Let's say the appraisal doesn't come back as much of rental income as you need. You can get the existing proof from the seller and use those numbers. With DSCR, you are allowed to use short-term rental income as things like AirDNA. But if there's already income on it, you can choose to show that income and use it so you don't have to worry about using air DNA and things of that nature, you know, if it's a good income. If it's not and it was poorly managed, then I would recommend just doing a, a rental income worksheet and being done with it. I had that same scenario on a, a beach property that we purchased this past year where the actual income, the revenue from that property was $30,000 more annually than what the projections were. And so I worked with my loan officer to make sure that we were using the most favorable information out there. So good to know. And so remind us again, just for sealing it into our brains, which products you can use the projected income with and which products you have to use the established rental income? There's no product you have to use established rental income. Okay. You can always have the choice of using proposed rental income. So most of the time people will use the proposed rental income. You can use things like AirDNA to do proposed rental income. However, if you do use AirDNA, there's, it's a higher 
down payment, right? So instead of a 20% down DSCR, you'd have to do 25% down DSCR. In the areas, you know, we specialize in, in all these tourist areas, we can let the client know, hey, you're going to be good with this appraisal coming back. The rental income will come back pretty good. Or if we're like, hey, the appraisers in that area really lowball these rental income numbers, I advise you to go with the AirDNA numbers. It will be 5% extra down or what have you, but it's certain that it will most likely close as opposed to dealing with something and restructuring after the appraisal comes back on that projected rental income. Okay, good to know. Good to know. What if people are listening to this and going, well, this all sounds fabulous, but I don't have a big down payment or I don't, I have very little money to put down. What types of loans or what would your recommendation be to someone in that scenario? So if you're just starting out, there are two options I recommend. The first one is a longer journey. However, if you're committed, you will start to cash flow. It's just a longer journey. So I recommend the primary residence loan. You can, you know, three to three and a half percent down. You live there for a year and then you can rent it out after that rather long-term or short-term rental if your zoning requirements allow for it. That is the longer game because it can be 100% gifted to you from a family member, spouse, or fiance, down payment plus closing costs. Second, homes can also be gifted to you. If you're just putting down 10% on a second home, Fannie Mae says that 5% of that has to come from your own funds, and then the remaining 5% plus closing costs can come from a gift. If you put 20% down on a second home loan, Fannie Mae doesn't care. They throw the rule out the window and they're like, 100% of that can be gifted to you. I don't know why they do that, but those are the options. Investment only loans, gifts are not allowed. So you cannot do a gift. If you need Christmas money, because you know, let's just give Christmas as an example. You get a lot of Christmas money and you deposit it, that's gonna be a large deposit. And you can't explain where it came from because it was just Christmas gift money, right? So if you do have to deposit money into your account for an investment loan, you need to let it season in your account for at least two months so it won't show as a large deposit. DSCR loans. We work with multiple uh, investors for our DSCR loans. So DSCR, one product, doesn't even look at, they just look at how much is in your account. They don't look at large deposits. So you could technically get a gift for that one. Then the other DSCR product, you cannot get a gift. They do look at your bank statements for that one. And we will let, you know, the client know which between the two pros and cons of each product. Amazing. So even within a specific type of loan, there might be different opportunities available based on which product you're ultimately brokering to that client because you are a mortgage broker, correct? So you have the opportunity to, you know, leverage different types of loan products based on the suppliers or investors that you work with. Yeah. It's not one size fits all. It's if this one doesn't work, let's go try on another one. Right. So we have those multiple options for those loan types, depending on the borrower situation. Okay. All right, so I want to move really quickly and talk about debt to income ratio because I have heard and seen so many people make comments that, oh my gosh, I've capped out my DTI and I don't know what to do. And I know that obviously for so many of us who are so passionate about this short-term rental space, it's something that we find ourselves wanting more and more and more of, more properties. I know for me personally, I've been able to 
grow my own portfolio by putting all of my properties in individual LLCs and using commercial loans. So in that scenario, I've not been forced to even tap into my own debt to income ratio. I know you mentioned some previous strategies a moment ago, but I'm wondering if you can just recap those for us for anyone who might be looking to, again, have a workaround against that debt to income ratio cap. What are some other things and strategies they can take advantage of? Yeah. So I mentioned with the DSCR loan, so you don't have to go fully commercial. You can do DSCR loans in your LLC right into it. So there's the, that option. However, when, you know, let's say Stacy, you call me, I'm going to say, what are your short-term goals? And therefore, what are your long-term goals? And I actually go through your plan. And then I suggest for my personal opinion, you can take it or leave it. But for my personal opinion, I say, okay, this is what we need to do to structure the next three years for you. First, you know, do the second home if you can. Uh, then do an investment property because you can use proposed rental income. A lot of people can get away with possibly doing a second home and an investment property and possibly a third investment property in the same year without capping their debt to income ratio. Again, they can use proposed rental income on the specific deal that they are doing. If it is a short-term rental, when they close on that loan, they cannot use that proposed rental income until they file that tax return showing income. However, if it is a long-term rental, they can. So let's say I close a loan last month that's a long-term rental. I get a tenant in place. I have a lease agreement, right? So then I get another property. I can show that lease agreement. Boom. I've got that debt canceled out for me. So that's why I kind of talk to my clients like, hey, let's be versatile. You know, short-term rentals are awesome. But if you're wanting to leverage that money, you have a little bit down right now, but your debt to income is a little shaky. You can look at a long-term rental. If they don't want to even do long-term rentals, then I say, all right, next loan is going to be a DSCR loan because it doesn't go off your debt to income at all. It's just an asset-based loan. It just looks at making sure you have a down payment, closing costs and reserves for that loan. And that's what a lot of my clients do. So they will get that DSCR loan. There are options without a prepayment penalty, which is awesome because after they get that rental income on their tax return, they can refinance into a normal lower interest rate loan and uh, be able to expand their portfolio even more. One thing I want to touch on is let's say me and you go out and buy a property together and we're on that mortgage together. Then that debt, once we go our separate ways to buy something else, will 100% be counted against both of us. The mortgage payment's $3,000. It's not going to be $1,500 for you and $1,500 for me. It's going to be $3,000 for each of us because let's say in the unfortunate event, somebody passes away, right? you're 100% responsible for that mortgage payment. So that's why I say, let's strategize. If you do have a partner in it, if you can afford it, you know, maybe write down an agreement, you'll be on this loan and they be on title. And then they're going to go get this contract and you be on that title. So you're not capping yourself that much because Fannie and Freddie allow for 10 max finance residential properties. So if you and your partner are doing this together and y'all are structuring it that way, in a perfect world, let's just say DTI isn't a factor. You've just expanded your portfolio from 10 properties to 20 finance properties. Interesting. Ooh, I feel like that's a good mortgage hack right there. That's awesome. So much good information. I feel like I could pick your brain about this for hours, but I won't because I know you're a busy lady. I want to talk with you a little bit about pre-approvals and what the difference is between a pre-approval and a pre-qualification. 
let's start there. Can you walk us through how a pre-qual differs from a pre-approval? Yeah, so we normally only send out pre-approvals. Pre-approvals are when we actually pull your credit, we get all three credit bureaus back, we look at your income, we look at your assets, we calculate your debt to income ratio in the application. Everything is good unless you go out and buy a Ferrari. Everything is good. So when we hand you that letter and it says pre-approval, you know, unless you screw up somehow, you're going to be good to go because we're investors ourselves, right? I don't want to get under contract, get excited and find out I don't qualify for something. So we normally just do pre-approvals. We can do pre-qualifications. Let's say the borrower doesn't want their credit pulled, but I tell them I highly suggest doing a pre-approval because you really don't know what you're qualified for with a pre-qualification letter. Some people are like, hey, you know, I applied online at this place and they gave me a pre-approval letter in 30 seconds or, you know, 10 minutes. I'm like, no, they didn't. They gave you a pre-qualification letter. So pre-qualification, guys, means they're just going off of your stated income and stated assets and stated debts. That's a pre-qualification. A pre-approval is when you're actually approved for that. We kind of manually underwrite it ourselves and send that pre-approval letter out. A lot of people don't know the difference. Even people in my industry and in finance don't even know the difference. So it's not an uncommon question. I'm glad you asked it because it is very important for borrowers to know that. And from your perspective, when do you feel like someone should start the pre-approval process if they're looking to purchase a property? I say three to four weeks before they're ready to purchase, and here's why. Let's say you drive a Jeep right now, but you're looking at a Lincoln, and you're driving, and you're like, you know, I like this Lincoln. Well, guess what? Now you're on the road, and you see that car everywhere, right? You see the Lincoln everywhere, which before you didn't because it wasn't in your mind. It's psychological. And the same thing happens with mortgages. So if you're like, you know what, I'm probably in about three weeks, I'm going to apply, you know, and, and try to start the, the home buying process for an investment property. No, because you're going to see a unicorn deal the next day, or you're going to see something that's listed or for sale by owner. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's the perfect one. I have to have that. Well, guess what? You didn't start your pre-approval process. And by the time you do, this market's still competitive you may lose out on that offer or that offer may get already accepted by the time you get them that true pre-approval letter. So I say three to four weeks before you're quote unquote ready to uh, get a loan. It is so true. Years ago, I bought a white Honda Accord that was a two-door coupe and it was super sporty and fun. I mean, not that Honda Accords are all that sporty, but you know, <laughs> I, I love this car. And I thought it's so different. I've never seen any car like this on the road. And so I was so excited about having this unique vehicle and I'm driving it home and I see like seven of them on yep. my way home. And I'm thinking, what on earth just happened here? <laughs> the mind is a, a peculiar thing, but it really does work that way. Exactly. Okay. So fun. So Brenna, I want to move into what I call the lightning round. And what I'm going to ask you to do is answer with the very first thing that comes to mind. And I promise they're going to be easy and fun. The first question is, where is your favorite place to vacation? Probably uh, Seaside 30A Destin area down there. Mm -hmm. And of course, my beach house down there. <laughs> is that where your beach house is located? It is located on the Cape, so Cape Sandblast, Mexico Beach. It's pretty like secluded. I like that, you know, quietness. 
Yes. Love, love, love that. All right. What is one place you've never been, but that you want to visit? So I've been to every state except Hawaii and Alaska, and I definitely want to visit Hawaii. I do want to visit Alaska when it's warmer, but I really um, mostly want to go to Italy and Australia. I would vote for an extended trip. Go to Hawaii, Australia, and then make your way over it to Italy. All in I'm one foul swoop. Open, owning a mortgage company, there's no, the word extended doesn't work. Like, <laughs> it's a little teeny vacation and that's all you get. <laughs> okay, what's one thing you know now that you wished you knew when you were starting in this business? Oh gosh, I wish I knew back then because I'm telling you these, four bedroom homes here in the Smoky Mountains are going for 400,000, 500,000 at most. And I wish I would have started to invest back then in my backyard because things explode, right? So if you're looking in a touristy area, it's up and coming, really recommend you looking harder into that because if it's up and coming, chances are three to five years, it's going to be booming. In that point, the purchase prices have been tripled. I say the same thing, you know, when I first started buying down in Myrtle Beach, I always say, boy, oh boy, if I knew what the real estate market was going to do, I would have bought every beachfront condo known to man that I could get my hands on because mm -hmm. it was quite a turn of events in literally 12 months time. It was <laughs> unreal. Okay. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, I've ever been given. I'm going to tie this into investments and in what I do. But when I was younger and I did sing, I was singing at church for the first time and I did really well. Everybody was praising me and I got in the car with mom and I was pumped. I was like, I'm so excited. Everybody, you know, thought I was good. I sang good. I didn't mess up. And she was like, yeah, she was like, you did. She said, but were you doing it for yourself or were you doing it for the people to actually get the message from the song you were singing? And that impacted my whole life because after that, it's like, you need to have a purpose in what you're doing and you need to see how that can make a difference in other people's lives as well. So let's tie it into investing. Yeah. You're getting the property to put on Airbnb for your income, but think about it, you know, your generational wealth, are you helping your kids? possibly hand it down to them, possibly teaching them to how to be a landlord at 20 years old. Cause can you imagine going back and being a landlord at 20 and now, you know, a long time ago after that. Um, so do everything you do with your heart and look at why you want to do it and be honest with yourself. Because some of you guys, you know, investing may not be for you and that's okay but you need to look at it and run your own numbers and keep in your head what the main reason is. Don't get frustrated if you don't get the first three offers you've put in. Think of the mindset you had when you first started in it and continue to move forward because that's how you're going to succeed. Such great advice. My mom gave me advice too when I was a kid. You know, it was one of those scenarios where I still remember, you know, where we were sitting when she sat down and, and had this conversation with me that again, really changed my perspective and how I looked at different scenarios throughout, you know, the, the several years after, but, you know, I think our moms are so special that way they can see, you know, future successes and future mistakes that we might make. And they help 
intercept them before they become challenges later on down the road. So that little bit like is pivotal, right? Cause mm-hmm. I could have turned out to be a little brat and, <laughs> and not work, you know, for what I believed in. And that mm-hmm. little teeny conversation in the car on the way home changed everything for me. So So cool. So cool. All right. What is one thing and or person that you're grateful for today? Gosh, there are so many, but I will say, I'm gonna have to say my math teacher back in, in high school, he has passed away now, but he was my next door neighbor. I I mean, I lived in a one stoplight town. My graduating class was like 15 people, I think. They graduated from height. So guys, I'm five foot tall. If you ever meet me in person, don't be shocked. I graduated first because they graduated by height. So I was like, yeah, I graduated first in my class. But my math teacher, pre-algebra, algebra, algebra, calculus, all that not fun stuff, uh, was my next door neighbor. And so, you know, as I was a teenager, I kept, you know, we're all listening to this as most of us are going to be female. So, you know, when you're 16, you're looking in the mirror and you want to look good. Well, I'd miss the bus. And mom would make me ride with Mr. Harvey, which was my math teacher, to school. And the school, it was like five minutes away. It felt like two hours because he was asking me math questions in the car. I didn't study for the test. I didn't know. Finally, we had a parent-teacher conference, and he was like, Brenna, you have to get better at math. I was like, why? I'm never going to use it. I'm going to sing the rest of my life. I never use it. I'll never even add anything. And now, look, I own a mortgage company. I do math every day. And so I feel like he's looking down like I told you because something he saw, he just felt in his heart that he knew that I would be doing something with math, which is weird to me because I would have never seen it. I would have never thought it. So I think that was it because he believed in me and always pushed me to strive for more. So cool. It's funny that you say there's a correlation there, maybe a correlation that he saw between singing and math. In my world of acapella music, some of the best arrangers are mathematicians. And I'm sure there's a scientific reason for that, but I think that is interesting how he he might have saw, saw something in you or might have seen something in you that took that creative talent and he knew you were going to make it big in the mortgage industry one day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, if I got a bad grade on a test here, he comes walking down the street and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> and mom would make me sit with him and like review the test. Like it was not cool to live next to your teacher, but yeah. That is hilarious. I love that. So Brenna, this has been so fun. Again, this time together has flown by. I just want to ask you, you know, where people can get in touch with you if they have questions about what mortgage strategy might be right for them or even developing a mortgage strategy. What is the best way for them to get in touch with you and find you online? So I've developed multiple ways for different I guess you'd say generations or personalities because some people don't like to talk on the phone. You can call me on the phone and I can give you that information or 800-816-7982. You can email me at Brenna at mortgageshop.co, not .com, .co. You can find me in Stacy's Facebook group, answering questions with a little bit of humor every time because I like to throw in some humorous things. And then I also have a financing short-term rentals Facebook group as well as our mortgage company's Facebook group on Facebook. And you can go in there because I spell it out for you in that financing short-term rental page, because I know some of you might be scared, you know, to ask questions out loud because fear of ridicule, which 
you don't need to be scared because we've all started somewhere from the bottom, you know? So I've opened that up for people to kind of be able to ask their questions without feeling like they're in the public eye and, and just post a lot of things over social media. I have the YouTube channel that has all any questions that just went over. It kind of goes in everything in detail of that. So the mortgage shop, uh, YouTube page, Instagram, if you want to follow my hobbies of eating pizza and, and working out and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> I should have asked you, what is your favorite type of pizza? Oh God. You know, my husband says that it's trashy, but I don't agree. I like the little Caesars deep dish. Call me cheap. That's fine. I don't care, but it really is good. The deep, not the regular ones, the deep dish is really good. So everywhere we go, I have to try the pizza there to uh, test it out. New York pizza and then Little Caesars. <laughs> I love it. And with that, Brenna, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us today. So appreciate you and all the wonderful knowledge you have spilled here. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, sister, are you ready to start making your short-term rental dreams a reality, but feeling lost, stuck, or just overwhelmed? Here's what I know for sure. You deserve everything you're dreaming of, and you deserve to get it with ease, support, and joy. So here's what I'd like you to do. Go to stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar and watch my free masterclass where you will get the scoop on how to leave your W-2 and start building your dream life with five simple steps. If you're ready to have more time to spend with friends and family doing the things you love, adding a ton of zeros to your bank balance and start living your short-term rental dream, you need to watch this masterclass. Head over to stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar right now to start watching. That's stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar, and I will see you there.